week. Uh, we've had a great week here at the centre. Um, it's been really, really busy. Can we just pull that down a little bit more, guys, at the back? Um, we've had a really, really busy week here at the centre. We've had uh, hundreds of people here from all over the world, world leaders, uh, leader, uh, leaders from all over the world, sorry, um, not world leaders. That would be a different conference altogether. Um, and it's just been amazing. It's been so amazing. We've, um, I think from the church's perspective, we've loved seeing this centre used for what it was built for. It was, used, it was built to build the kingdom, and that's what we do every week. But some weeks are extra special, aren't they? Uh, Jenny and I loved meeting other church leaders. It's one of the, kind of the big delights that we get from the week. Um, the teaching's great, the worship's great, but meeting people um, who are, you know, have the heart to build the church as well. So this week we met a couple from Zimbabwe, Sweden, uh, the US, Mexico, just to name a few that were here. Um, and we met many, many more. And, uh, but also, just to see how, as a team, the church served the, the delegates that were here, the people that were here at the conference. Like Sally said this morning, cleaning toilets. I saw Chris on his hands and knees scrubbing. Uh, well done, Chris. Um, yeah, hold on, we'll clap in a minute, Tony, hold on. Um, you know, but cups of coffee, feeding, serving, car parking, and even some dancing from our life group. We, we fit it all in as we serve this week. Um, so if you were one of the people who just, even if you just volunteered for an hour, uh, this week. Could you just stand up if you were part of the team that served and made the conference happen this week? There we go. All sat this side of the room. All right, can we just give them a big thank you from our church? Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. You served so well. You loved on people so well, so thank you so much. And it was all done, let me tell you. Everything that, that the team did this week, they did with the heart for worship. We're so proud of our church this, this week. And if you weren't able to make it, I know some people took holiday this week from work to be here to help, but if you weren't, not everybody was able to do that. If you weren't able to make it, on our podcast, King's Church Darlington podcast, we have three days of podcasts, day one, two, and three, that Jill and I put together. Um, so you can kind of get a feel and hear some of the stories and, uh, from people who are here. So go and check that out. Um, but this morning is a special morning. I know you're all going to be excited, but just hold on before you start, you know, woo and cheering, okay? Because we start a brand new sermon series. Okay, I just feel like that. You're just humoring me more than anything. There's no real excitement there. Okay, we're starting a new sermon series, people. Come on. Um, the Gospel of Matthew, we are going to be, this is the last time you're going to be able to make that whip for a little while. We're going to be in this for some time. I'm so excited to go through this step by step, story by story, encounter by encounter. Uh, we're going to be looking at Jesus' birth, his life, his ministry, every healing, every encounter, all the way through to his death and his resurrection. And I'm really excited about that, personally speaking. Um, I'm excited to bed into the gospel and to really go for it. Um, saying all of that, we're not starting at chapter 1 this morning. We're starting at chapter 3. And the reason we're doing that is, is because at Christmas, I know the Christmas word, Christmas, we're going to go back to chapter 1 and work our way towards the birth of Jesus. Okay, so everybody with me? All right, so if you've got your Bibles, I would love for you to open them to Matthew chapter 3. 
Um, if you don't have a Bible and you would like one, you can grab one from the back. They're free of charge. You can take it home if you don't have one, or if you just need one for the morning, um, you can grab one. Okay, so Matthew chapter 3, let me just pray real quick, and then we're going to read it together. Father, thank you so much for this week. Lord, what a pleasure it's been to see uh, this church, this building, Lord, and this building used uh, to serve and build your kingdom all over the world. Lord Jesus, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ that are in Ukraine, Romania, uh, Mexico, US, Sweden, <laughs> so many, Lord, Zimbabwe this morning. That, Lord, you've called us into a relationship with these churches. And Father, I thank you that you are building your church and nothing can withstand the advancement of your kingdom. Lord Jesus, we pray for those people who have been here this week that, Lord, that they would, as they meet and gather this morning together in their home churches, that they would be blessed and uplifted, Lord. But we also pray for us as a church, that the, that the, the things that have happened this week, the conversations, they would be instrumental in seeing the advancement of, of your gospel, Lord Jesus, in our town and in our relationships. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Okay, so Matthew 3, we're going to go verses 1 to 12. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair. And he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fear, fruit, in keeping with repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that, not, that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree, trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptized you baptize you with water for repentance but after me comes one who is more powerful than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire man I'm so excited to talk about this okay so I want to start off by just making sure that nobody in the room is hungry, okay? Um, I'd hate to think that you're sat there thinking, oh man, I'm so hungry, I could, eat, I could eat something right now. I can't concentrate, I'm so hungry. So is anybody hungry? Because uh, John the Baptist, he loved his books. Yes, Baba's straight in there. I knew Baba would be hungry. He loved his books. Now, unfortunately, we don't have, they were, they were fresh out of locusts, but we do have some dry roasted crickets. They're actually the same ones from my draw two years ago, but um, all right, Baba, let's just give you a few of these. They, uh, and I, 
they taste really nutty, don't they? Um, have, a, have a try. Anybody else? Yeah, Bright. Thanks, Bright. Appreciate that. I'm going to give some to you. Paul, you're being a little bit too quiet. <laughs> and, uh, oh, of course, Chris. Yeah, go for it, Chris. You've, you've traveled the world. You don't mind a bit of cuisine. And David, of course, I saw your hand go straight up there. And, uh, and Don, just, <laughs> just, a, just, just a couple. Oh, you've got a couple of legs there. That's, they're really nice. Anybody else feel a little... Oh, yeah, great. Okay. We were fresh out of wild honey this morning, unfortunately. I couldn't find any. Um, so we're just going with the dry bugs. They're a bit sawdusty. I'm not going to lie to you, but they do taste very nutty. Quite tasty. Um, what does everybody think? Good? Yeah? Oh, there's... Well, good. Everybody's full. That's good. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about John a little bit. Let's just chat about him, who he is. Uh, John the baptizer, as he became known, uh, he was somebody that, that <laughs> I'll take those back, Davey. You're going to be there all morning handing them. I didn't think there'd be that many people that would want them, if I'm being honest. <laughs> I'll save those for two years' time when we're preaching on John the Baptist again. Okay. I'm sure they'll be lovely and crispy by then. The reality is, is that God, in the Bible, continuously uses unusual preachers uh, but de- who deliver powerful messages. You can turn the bugs off now, it's going to turn everybody's stomach. Um, when we read the book of Genesis, we read about Noah uh, building a boat and proclaiming the coming judgment. And actually, every single person around us, we know, because the Bible tells us so, that, that, that actually their heart, their intention was that of evil. Everybody thought Noah was a weirdo until the rain started coming and the flood happened. And, and when we read about Moses, Moses was somebody who, who had a speech impediment, was unable to talk and used his brother Aaron to speak on his behalf. And Elijah, one of Israel's most powerful, most beloved prophets kind of came out of nowhere and he delivered these powerful sermons but he's threatened by uh, Jezebel and, and, and he ends up hiding away and asking God to kill him. God seems to delight in using imperfect, weak, unlikely and yes even strange people, so you're all in luck, to deliver powerful messages. Powerful messages. And when we get to the New Testament which is where we're just launching into now. John is the last Old Covenant prophet. He's the last one. And does he fit the bill? Yes, he does. We, we know that John is related to Jesus because his mother Elizabeth and uh, Mary, G, uh, um, Jesus' mother, are related. They're second cousins, so we know that they're related to each other. And in Luke's Gospel... He tells the story of uh, the, the pregnancy and actually uh, John, um, the birth of John. And in chapter 1, verse 15, onwards he says, uh, this, this angel comes to Zechariah, his father, and he says this. He says, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before, even before he is born. What a prophetic word to have over your child. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared 
for the Lord. That's what was prophesied over John before he was even born by this messenger of God. That John the Baptist would be filled with the Spirit of God even before he's born. And John, when, sorry, when we jump into Matthew, John is well underway in his ministry. He's got this ministry going and he's got people from all over uh, the land of Israel coming to hear his message, to hear his preaching. And he's built a crowd. It tells us in verse 5, people went out to him from Jerusalem, uh, Judea, and the whole region of the Jordan. We've got a map here. It's quite small, but um, right at the top there is Bethany. It's got a tiny little blue flag. (laughs) Sorry about that. And uh, you can see the land of, of Israel. Right at the bottom is the area of Judea under Jerusalem. And John's preaching right up at the top in Bethany has drawn a crowd and Matthew's trying to tell us he's drawn a crowd from the whole of the land and they're all going up to the river to the top of the river Jordan uh, in Beth in the village of Bethany to go and respond and to hear the words of this of this prophet who's prophesying that the kingdom of heaven is near and people are coming to hear but also to repent and to reset with the Lord their God. And Matthew also tells us about what John the Baptist is wearing. Now, here's the thing. When you read the Gospels, uh, or whenever you read the Bible, actually, whenever the writer gives you a detail about a person, the best thing to do is to stop and ask, why is that important? <laughs> what, you know, do the gospel writers tell us what everybody in every encounter is wearing? They don't, do they? Just, it's not a fashion show. They don't tell us what people are wearing unless, it, it, unless it's relevant to what you need to know about that person. And Matthew tells us that he's wearing this camel's hair and a, and a, and a leather belt and then goes on to tell us about his diet, what he eats. Why would he tell us that? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. One, the first reason, I guess, is what is it that's driving this man? What is it that's dri- that drives John in his ministry? You know, you know, you can imagine how some people would respond to the attention that John is getting in this moment. Man, he is famous throughout the land of Israel. People are coming from as far as the holy city, from Jerusalem and Judea and beyond, and they're coming to hear the words of this, of this prophet. Now, he could have been rubbing his hands together, right? Like, hey, up, hand out the collection baskets, get, get some cash, right, for this prophet, for this amazing prophet. They want to hear me speak, they've got to pay. Or thinking about lining up his next TV appearance or his next book deal, right? John's not doing that. That's not what drives him. Um, and clearly from the picture we're given, material things were of no interest to him. Absolute zero interest to John. He didn't care about nice clothes or a steak dinner. Those things were not the things that drove him and not the things that got him out of bed in the morning. And I think secondly, this guy, he seems like a right weirdo, like he just does. His behavior is weird to us now, 2,000 years on in Darlington. We We read about him thinking he's a bit strange. But actually, in a very civilized Roman Empire, John was a weirdo. He was strange. He was a bit out there, literally out there. And you see, but these people came en masse. They still came to John. They came to hear his teaching. They weren't drawn by this talented 
pastor with his flash Gucci shoes and his knockout wife and his Botox in his forehead and his flash church building and his million Instagram followers. No, they were drawn by a move of God. They were drawn by a prophetic word that was being fulfilled in that moment and they couldn't help themselves but to stay awake, but they needed to hear and to see what, what God was doing. Nothing to do with John. There was nothing attractive about him. There was nothing amazing about him that was bringing people in. It was a move of the Holy Spirit that was drawing people to come to the River Jordan and to respond. So often we're drawn to these people, aren't we? But people here were drawn by God. It was a move of God. And, and Matthew helpfully inserts us here a prophetic word that's been fulfilled from Isaiah 43 to 5. It says, a voice of one calling. He's the one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight the desert, straight in the desert, highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. How is it going to be revealed? Through Jesus. And all people will see it together. For the, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. John was called from before his birth to be the one who proclaimed that the Messiah was near, the Messiah was coming. And next week we're going to talk about when he meets the, when he meets the Messiah in the river. But, but this, is, this is the moment that has been prophesied by Isaiah. He's the one in the wilderness calling for the, for the path to be made straight, for the highway into your heart to be opened up. And the rugged places, the, all of the obstacles are going to be made like a plane. Not like an aeroplane, you understand. Like a plane. <clears throat> and I'm going to circle back around to that. But um, what I want to talk about really as we get into this moment is that there are two Matthew tells us that there are two groups of people who are responding in different ways. The first one uh, is a group of people who hear from John and they hear what he has to say and they wholeheartedly respond to the message that John is bringing. We're very used to the idea, aren't we, of baptism as, as Christians. In fact, most people in this room have probably been baptized, submerged in water and brought back out. And we understand as, as followers of Jesus that that is an outward expression of something that has gone on in our heart, right? Like, so we, we believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord and we declare it with our lips and we're saved. But then we're commanded to believe and then be baptized in the name of Jesus. So many people have been baptized right here, this holy spot, <laughs> and you come up out of the water and it represents this new life, this washing away of sin that has happened in your life, and it's a public declaration to what has gone on in your heart. And this is really significant because as people of the New Testament, living as followers of Jesus, we're used to that. However, what's going on here, the Israelites would have been used to seeing people baptized, but they weren't baptized. You see, the Israelites were people of the covenant. They were children of God already. They, they, they were descendants of Abraham, who was the recipient of this covenant from God. They were the chosen people, the chosen nation. They weren't baptized. People who wanted to become part of the nation of Israel were baptized. 
So if you were a Gentile, as you were known by the Israelites, if you were a Gentile and you wanted to become part of that covenant promise, you could be. Uh, if, you were a, if you were a woman or a man, you would uh, learn the law, the Torah, and you would study it and you would live your life by the law. And then you would go through a couple of rituals. If you were a man, you were circumcised. And then at the end of this, you would be baptized in the River Jordan to signify washing away of sins and living by the law of Moses. So this is something that they were used to seeing, but Israelites weren't baptized. And here, John, he's not asking Gentiles to be baptized. He's asking Israelites. He's asking people who are part of that covenant already to come and be baptized. God's people. And this is significant. This is the river where God's people first entered the promised land, the, the, the land that was promised them. It's the, it's the river that they walked through to get to the promised land. And they were being called back into it, out of the promised land, back into that place of water to transition back into a new relationship with their God. And he's telling them that their Messiah is coming to prepare their hearts to receive from them. And can you imagine this image? They've come to the River Jordan that some of them have traveled for days and days to get to this point. And it says, as they came, these Israelites, these people of God, they were declaring, they were, sorry, they weren't declaring, they were speaking out and confessing their sins as they head into the river to be baptized. And, and they were being baptized as a symbol of starting again with God, transitioning to new life with God, washing away their sins and coming back into that covenant with their heavenly Father. But there's a second group. There's a second group. Amongst the excitement, amongst everything that's going on, amongst the people that have come from far and wide, there is the Sadducees and the Pharisees. We're going to talk a lot about them over the coming year. And you see, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, John has a few choice words for them. And they heard the same message that everybody else was hearing. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. You need to come and confess your sins and start again with your God and humble your hearts. And you see, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, where other people responded wholeheartedly, John has to say to them, the axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Will be thrown into the fire. You need to produce fruit in line with repentance. Everybody. And you see, the problem that John had, calls him a brood of vipers, that's a lovely word, isn't it? Um, the problem that John has and that Jesus would have is that there's no fruit. There's no goodness that comes from these trees. It's become religion. It's become organized money-making. It's become all centered on them, their preferences and what they want. And the only reason that they even seem to be there is to be making sure there's peace and there's order to what's going on. No doubt John is causing a stir and they need to be in control because they're the ones who are in charge. You see, these people were supposed to be God's representatives on earth, bringing people to God. And they would have been unhappy with what John was doing. He's not authorized to do this. They're the leaders. They're the teachers. 
They're the, they're the implementers of the law, not John. And John has some very harsh words. And we find that as even as Jesus, as they meet the Messiah himself, I mean, they're hearing about the Messiah coming. You think they would be excited as God's representatives, but they're not. Instead, they're there, unrepentant, unmoved, hearts of stone. And Jesus would encounter exactly the same thing. And we see this moment, don't we, just that fulfills John's prophecy here. He, John says that the axe is at the root of the tree. And every tree that is unfruitful will be cut down. And we see Jesus in the temple goes through a fig tree, doesn't he? And he's so excited about this fig tree. It looks amazing. Should have the early fruit of the season. And Jesus curses the tree. It has no fruit. It's this image of what God is doing. He's doing away with the old that is unfruitful and bringing in his kingdom, the new. And John points out to them, it would be easier for God to make sons out of these stones. Sons, that's the important word. Sons who are obedient, repentant, have hearts towards him. It would be easier to make sons out of these stones than to turn your heart of stone and melt it for the kingdom. That's what's happening here. You see, we're called to be a people that come to him. We're called to be children that come to him and confess our sins before him. To be a people who declare our love for him, our devotion to him, and remove every obstacle in our hearts to make space for him to do what he wants to do. John calls, us, John calls every single person there to be people of unconditional surrender. At the end of World War II, Roosevelt, Churchill, and the rest of the Allies, they agreed that they would accept nothing less from the Germans and from the Japanese than unconditional surrender in order to end World War II. They, they, they all completely agreed that the fact that there was, there was no meaningful future, this is what they said, no meaning, meaningful future for rebellious people who had not renounced and repented of their failed ambition to rule. Listen, God is calling us to be a people who renounce and repent our ambition to rule. We can't. He's the king. He's the king. The one who conquered the grave. The one who came in all power and humility. And he calls us as his children to be a people who unconditionally surrender our hearts before him. John was calling people to humble themselves and make straight the path into your heart. So my question for us all this morning, as I end, is, is simple. Which camp do you find yourself in this morning? And let's start with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Have we become hard-hearted towards God? Have we lost our humility, our willingness to see what God is wanting to do in our lives? You see, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they, could, they were so riled up and, 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 and concerned with themselves and their own status quo that they couldn't see what God was doing in that moment. 
They couldn't see the fulfillment of prophecy. They couldn't see God's children returning to him and repenting. They couldn't see past it. They were hard-hearted. And maybe we've become blasé about doing life with God. Maybe we've become comfortable with our own status quo that we've created for ourselves. Stopped reading our Bibles. Stopped praying. Stopped carving out time for God. Stopped giving Him everything. Carried on in sin that you think, I'll get to it one day, I'll sort that out one day. I'm sure one day I'll stop doing that. Actually, you've never stopped. You've become numb to it. You've become preoccupied with other things that you like or you want and make you feel good. Our hearts have become hardened because we think we know better. We have a better plan. You believe the hype about yourself, about how important or how educated or how well, not, how well learned you are. Learned you are. And, and, and what we want to do is rule our own lives. You feel like you've almost become numb in your faith. You go to the gatherings, you see the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they were in the right place. Maybe this morning you're in the right place. But the challenge is not to respond like they responded, by standing off hard-hearted and, and, and having John having to address them separately. They should have been in the river. They should have been repenting. They should have been confessing their sins and being ready for the, for, to make way for Jesus to come into their lives. The Messiah was coming. And you see, this morning you're in the right place. You're here with the family of God. You're here with your brothers and sisters in Christ. But you can stand at the back with a numb heart, with a numb in your faith, and not respond to what God is actually doing in the room. To what God is doing this morning, to what he wants to do in your life right now. And you can miss it. And I'm not here to convict you or judge you this morning, but I'm here to ask you, are you open? Is your heart open? Have you removed every obstacle? Have you done away with everything that you want and instead you bow down at the feet of Jesus and say, here I am, unconditional surrender before you, Jesus. Nothing else will do. I bow down at the feet of the Messiah and I say, welcome. Here's my heart. Are you numb? Has it all become just being in the right place? Wearing the right clothes? And actually your heart is just, feels nothing. It's just become about your routine, what you want. Actually Jesus has so much more for you. So much more. Nothing, nothing will do other than unconditional surrender. Giving him everything. You might be in the second group of people. The second group of people were the ones that were pretty easy for John. You might be somebody, you might be somebody who um, you feel like actually your life has become one long list of mistakes. Maybe you want to follow Jesus. Your heart is ready and open, but you feel like you keep letting him down, keep disappointing him. You feel like you've uh, said the wrong thing, done the wrong thing, acted the wrong way. 
Well, actually, God is calling you to come back to him this morning. Jesus tells this beautiful story, doesn't he, about the prodigal son and how he goes away from his father. And maybe some of you in the room feel like that this morning. You feel like that first group of people that you, all you want to do is tell God everything you've done wrong and you want to know that you're loved and you're forgiven and you're accepted as a son or a daughter. The good news is that is never in question. It's never in question. And the prodigal son, when he runs back to his father with repentance on his lips, how much of that does he get out? How much repentance does he get out? He doesn't even finish the story, does he? He doesn't even finish his, 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 his sorry. He doesn't finish his, his repentance speech. Before he's even finished, his father grabs a hold of him and hugs him and has a party to celebrate and reinstates him as a son. Jesus gives us good news. When we come to him repentant and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I have done. We thank you, Lord, that you're a God who grabs a hold of us, tells us that we're loved, and tells us that we're accepted, and tells us that we have not lost our standing in you. Both of these scenarios require surrender. We'll finish by telling you something, and the band can come up. Oh, just Paul, that's fine. Yeah. Um, I want to finish by telling you something, because I think it's really relevant for maybe how some of you feel this morning. And um, when I was 17, I felt so distant from God. I felt so distant. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, they, they're clearly distant from what God is doing. God wants to work in their lives, but they're unmoved, hearts of stone. And I felt like that when I was 17. I remember it so well. And I was at a youth camp. I may have told you this before. I'm sure I have. But I was at a youth camp. And I remember being there and just praying and saying, God, I feel so far from you. I feel like you're not even real in my life. I feel like I'm just doing my own thing. And I, I, I want to follow you, Jesus. But I just don't even feel like you're there. And actually... Uh, someone just, I remember just praying at the end of this meeting and just having my eyes closed and someone come and pray for me. I won't know who they are until I meet them in glory. But, but they came and prayed for me. This guy came and put his hand on my shoulder and prayed. I didn't say anything. He didn't say anything but these words. And he just said, God never turns away from you. You turn away from him. That's all he said. And my prayer in that moment was, God, I never want to turn away from you ever again. I'm sorry, and I'm turning back to you right now. This morning is a morning where we're going to turn back to God. Unconditional surrender.